The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So when I was in college, I had a bunch of different jobs, and uh, one of the jobs that I had for a couple of years was to actually manage a pet store. And uh, this wasn't, you know, a chain pet shop. This was just an independent shop. Um, only had two locations, and uh, the store that I was at was at 12 Mile and DeQuinder, and the store was called The Pet Vendor. And when I, while I worked at The Pet Vendor, I got introduced to the wonderful world of reptile breeding, specifically of breeding snakes. Now, none of the snakes that, you know, that I bred or that we worked with, none of them were poisonous. These were all constrictors, so these were snakes that belonged to the families of, of boas, pythons, and colubrids, which are like corn snakes, milk snakes, rat snakes, and all those nice other kinds of snakes. And I got to be pretty good at actually breeding these snakes. And the, the owner of the pet shop, uh, he thought this was a great thing because he got to sell right, everything that I bred, and so he enjoyed that. And I got a commission on, on what it is that was sold, and so that was good for me too. Um, the problem, however, was that after a little bit of time, the owner of the shop said, you know, that he couldn't dedicate any more of his store to what had become, you know, my project because he needed to sell other animals, you know, like lizards and birds and, you know, fish and all, all that stuff. Um, uh, but again, for me, you know, this was kind of tough because this had not only was something that I did, um, that I enjoyed, it had become a hobby and also kind of a, a source of income for me. Um, and, and so uh, I called up a friend of mine that I actually met through working at the pet shop. His name was Brian, and he happened to manage the other location of the store over in Centerline. And he was the one who actually taught me how to, how to breed these animals. And, uh, and so I went over to his house, and I visited him, and I saw this facility that he had set up in the basement of his house where he had many, many, many thousands of actual, actual snakes go, uh, being bred. And I, I knew that I, I couldn't do what Brian was doing in my house because at this point I was like 19 years old or so. I was still living at home with my parents. And, and my parents, specifically my dad, he, they, they did not, he did not really share the same love for animals right, that I had. And, and, I mean, he was fine with the cat. He, he was fine with the cat. He, he was fine with the two cockatiels that I brought home. Um, he was good with them. He, he tolerated the dozen or so saltwater fish tanks that I had set up all throughout the basement. Um, secretly, I think that my dad kind of liked the ferret that I had snuck into my bedroom. Um, I, I think he was okay with that. Uh, dad, if you're listening to this right now in St. Louis, just thank you for not throwing me out. That's all I have to say. Um, but, but over time, eventually my dad uh, allowed me to have a couple of snakes in the basement, and so I began to, to breed these snakes. And one of the snakes that I was breeding at the time was an albino Burmese python. Now, this is like 25 years ago, so at that point, um, you know, these were pretty rare animals then, and they were, they were fairly expensive, and so they were actually very easy to sell. Um, they were pretty popular. And the babies, when they hatch, you know, the babies were maybe 12, 18 inches or so, um, but the adults are considerably larger than that. The adults are, are like anywhere between 8 feet and 15 feet, um, depending on whether or not they're males or females. And, and, you know, they're about yay big around when they're, you know, when they're breeding size. So this is a, kind of a, a larger snake. And so one day I'm coming home from the pet shop, and I just finished up closing the store. And so it was like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. I go home to my parents' house. I go downstairs to check on my animals like I did every night. And as I walk by this enclosure I, uh, for this one pair of albino Burmese pythons, I notice that one half of the enclosure is empty. So immediately I realize that I have, I have a problem. Because it is 10 o'clock at night, and there is an 8-foot-long male albino Burmese python loose in my parents' basement. 
Now, I was tired. It had been a long day. Went to school, worked after that. I had to get up early the next morning for an 8 a.m. class down at Wayne State. And so I just decided to go to bed because I figured I would just look for the snake in the morning. Before I finish the story, (laughs) if you were me, is that what you would do? No, of course not. And see, the truth is, I didn't do that either. I kind of just made that part of the story up. Because even 19-year-old me, right, even 19-year-old me knew that, that regardless of whatever it is that I thought was important in that moment, when you have an eight-foot-long male Burmese python loose in your house, right, whatever else you thought was important up to that point, that just kind of gets put aside, right? Because now your number one priority is finding this missing snake, right? Absolutely. But see, the, the point being this, when there's something that's loose in our homes, when there's something that's loose in our house, you do whatever it is to get rid of whatever that thing is that is loose in your house. Unfortunately, the, the strange thing, however, is that many times, many times when it comes to those things that actually get out and get loose in our hearts, right, we, we are far less proactive. Right? We are far less proactive. Many times those things that get loose in our hearts, those are actually the things that have the potential to destroy our families, to destroy our marriages, to destroy our, our relationships, to destroy our, our futures. And, and many times we just kind of act as if we hope that somehow right, it's just going to go away on its own, whatever it happens to be. And see, the truth is, during my time while I was working at the pet shop, I heard all kinds of crazy stories about animals that had gotten loose in people's homes. But but in all the different crazy stories that that I heard, I I never once heard about a family that fell apart, or a marriage that broke up, or parents and kids who could no longer speak to each other because of an animal that had gotten loose in their house. But see, the same thing is not true about those things that get out and crawl around inside our hearts, right? Many times those are the things that actually cause the most damage to our lives, to our families, and to the people that we love the most. Last week as we began this series together, we talked about the fact that that everything that we do actually comes from our hearts, right? That that we live from our hearts, we love from our hearts, we lead from our hearts, we operate our homes, we manage our homes, our our businesses from our hearts, we, we invest, we use our money from our hearts. All of life actually comes out of our hearts. And when you looked at a scripture that the wisest man who, who, who ever lived, a man by the name of Solomon, he actually tells us of this in, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And he, he gives us this command and he says, Above all else, meaning more important than anything else that we do, we have got to learn how to actually guard our hearts because all of life, because our hearts are the wellspring of life. Everything of life comes out of our hearts. And so as we move together as a congregation through this season that's known as Lent, every week that we're together... We're going to be opening up God's Word, and we're going to be listening and understanding what it is that God wants to say to us, what it is that He wants to tell us about what it looks like to actually guard our hearts. Because, see, God has not simply given us a command to guard our hearts, but He's also given to us Jesus to do what you and I could never do on our own. 
And see, my heart for you and for our church as we move through this series together is really twofold. First, that every single one of us, that we really would personally and individually ask Jesus to come on into our hearts and do what only He can do to repair and rebuild and restore those parts of our hearts that are broken. But then also secondly, that again, as, as individuals and as a church, we would be asking God to, to help us to listen and understand to what it is that He wants to teach us and show us about what it means to stand guard over and to watch over our hearts. Because the truth is, for many of us, right, we, we were never taught how to do this. This is a brand new idea for, for, for many of us. And the truth is, this is difficult, isn't it? I mean, this is not a, an easy thing at all to do because just living in this world, life in this world has, has a way of kind of putting all of this stuff into our hearts that shouldn't be there. And so each week as we talk about each one of these items, my hope and my prayer isn't that we just do a lot of talking, but most importantly that we are asking God to show us and to teach us that we would listen and understand what it means to actually guard our hearts and that we'd ask Jesus to do what only Jesus can do in our hearts and in our relationships. Now, today we're going to talk about a subject that every single one of us understand, we're all familiar with, it's a subject that we've all experienced, and, and that is anger. And, and while simply, I think, the truth is all of us could very easily talk about what it means to get angry and to, to be angry. I don't, I don't even think that the, that's uncomfortable for us. There's also another side to anger that, that many of us have experienced, and, and we know what it's like to actually carry anger with us as we kind of live our, our lives. That we would actually carry anger with us from one part of life or one season of life to another season of life. And even if you are here today and you would say, you know, that's not you, or you don't personally think that you have experience with that, you, you certainly at least know someone who it seems like is always angry. That, that just the, the least little thing that happens, it just kind of immediately, it just kind of immediately sets them off and, and, and they blow up. Maybe right now you're in a relationship with another person and it just feels like this person that you are in relationship with, like they have brought anger with them that really has nothing to do with you into your relationship. Because see, the truth is, it is so easy for all of us to actually carry anger from one season of life to another season of life. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're using one of those Bibles in front of you, page 1,822. Now, as we read and as we listen today, as you hear the, these words of Scripture and as you think about what it is that God wants to say to you today, if you kind of push back at all this and if you just kind of find yourself disregarding or objecting to everything you hear me say and everything that we read together, my prayer is that if nothing else, that these words that we're about to read would actually give to you some hope. Because see, these words were written by a man who knew what it meant to be hurt. He knew what it meant to suffer. He knew what it meant to actually be mistreated day in and day out of his life. And these words that were written by the Apostle Paul from inside the walls of a prison in the first century, not in a hotel, not on a beach someplace, not at a day spa, but inside the walls of a first century prison, these words tell us that it really is possible. 
it is actually possible to get rid of anger. And that we do not have to carry anger with us. That anger is not simply a matter of circumstance. And certainly, while all of us, we, we may get angry or be angry in the moment because of something that someone does to us or a circumstance that we experience in life, in the long term, what we'll hear the Apostle Paul explain to us is that in the long term, anger has much less to do with circumstance and much more to do with this thing that actually gets created in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26, it says this. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Now again, you all have heard me say over and over again many different times that that one of the reasons why I love the Scriptures so much is because the Scripture is always truthful. It always tells us the truth, right, about life. And and that is a truthful statement. That That is a realistic statement. Because, because there will be times, right? There will be times that I am angry. There will be times when you are angry, when emotions will be high and, and frustrations will be high. And in those moments, you will be and I will be angry. And the command here, the command here is not, do not be angry. The, the command is not about what you feel, right? The command is what is it that you do with what it is, that you feel. Be angry, he says, and do not sin. Be angry, but do not hurt somebody else. Be angry in the moment if you need to be angry, but do not lash out at another person. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are angry. In other words, he says, do not allow your anger, right? Do not carry your anger from today into tomorrow, and do not allow yesterday's anger to be carried into today. The point being, carry your anger for as short a time as possible. Do not carry anger any longer than absolutely necessary. Now, one of the very familiar applications of this particular verse, and perhaps you've heard this before, is that for married couples, right, you do not go to bed while you are still angry with each other, which meant that for Autumn and I, when we were first married, truth is, there were many nights, many nights where we did not go to bed until 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, sometimes even 3 o'clock in the morning because we wanted to apply the truth of this verse and the truth of God's Word into our marriage. And I would say for the most part, I think that is a great application of this text for any married couple. But see, I'll also say this. There are some anger issues that you cannot resolve before the sun goes down. Right? There are some issues of anger that simply cannot be resolved in the course of one 24-hour period. But the intention of this statement that the Apostle Paul writes which is written very much you know, like a proverb, is, I think, crystal clear. Get rid of your anger as soon as possible, and certainly do not carry that anger with you from one season to another season. And again, the implication of this for us should be very clear, because that means there is actually a way, doesn't it? That means there is actually a way where we don't have to do that. That there is actually a way where we can get rid of, of our anger. And then he tells us why this is so important. Don't miss this. 
In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And he says, this is the why, do not give the devil a foothold. And so what God's saying to us in, in, in these verses, again, this is so important for us to understand. He's saying that, that when you not, not get angry, right? When we not just simply get angry, but when you carry anger, when you actually carry anger with you, you are opening a door to the devil and you are giving the devil an opportunity that actually carrying anger is like opening the door to your heart and saying to the devil, I want you to come on in, make yourself at home, hang out for a while, do whatever it is that you want to do inside my heart and do not feel any pressure to leave. I'm going to carry this anger and as long as I do that, Devil, you are welcome to come on in here and do whatever it is that you want in my heart. Now, you might push back at some of that a little bit because maybe, maybe you don't think that the devil is actually a, a real creature, right? And that's, that's fine. I get that. I mean, personally, I do. I, I actually think that everything that happens in our world today that we see is a really good explanation and proof that he's real. Um, But but, but even more important than that, Jesus believed that the devil was an actual real creature. And and for me, since I've kind of just staked my entire life and my future on this whole idea that Jesus just simply knows more than I do, I'm really pretty good, right, with just leaving it right there. If Jesus says he's real, then he's real. But I, I don't know if you think that the devil is an actual creature or not, but regardless of that, what you know what you know is that free-flowing anger is always destructive to relationships, right? That it is almost impossible to actually be in a relationship with a person who is constantly angry because their anger just wreaks havoc in every single part of their life. Well, this is actually the scriptural explanation for why that happens, When we carry anger, we open the door to our heart to the devil and we allow him to come in and work in our hearts and our life. Now, another way for us to understand this whole idea and this whole concept of anger is to think about anger in the context of a debt-debtor relationship. And the reason why that becomes important is because whenever we experience anger, there's always this subtle feeling that goes along with it that says, you owe me, right? Anytime you get angry, we, we feel like you owe me. Whenever you're hurt, whenever you're mistreated, whenever you're offended by someone, there's always this feeling like the person who hurt me, they owe me something because somehow they took something from me. Right? So if you're at work and you feel like someone's taken your idea, then you feel like that person owes you the recognition for your idea. If you grew up in a home where, where mom or dad took off on you when you were a little kid, you feel like they took a part of your childhood with them when they left, and so you feel like they owe you a part of your childhood. If you've had a spouse walk out on you, then you feel like that person owes you your marriage or a part of your future back. Right? Anytime we're hurt, anytime we're mistreated, anytime that happens to us, there's the sense that someone took something from me. And so anger says, you owe me. You owe me a reputation. You owe me a childhood. You owe, you owe me a, a different future. And see, this is tough, isn't it? This is tough. But this is so incredibly important to understand because not only does anger open a door in our hearts to the devil, but see, anger also turns me into a bookkeeper. 
because you owe me. You took something from me. And I'm not closing the books on this account until I get paid. And see, as long as you keep that account open, you are carrying anger. And one of the worst things that you could ever possibly do or that I could ever possibly do is actually carry anger that was created in one season of life into another season of life. To actually carry the anger of childhood into adolescence. To carry the anger of adolescence into adulthood or or the anger of adolescence into a marriage. To actually carry the hurt and the anger from a first marriage into a second marriage. See, whenever we do that, the truth is, when we allow the sun to set on a season of, of our life and we move from one season to the next, if we have not resolved our anger, it is very easy for us to actually lose sight of the source of our hurt. And when we lose sight of the source of our hurt, it is almost impossible for you and me to actually close the account on that hurt. And see, that's why God says to us in His Word and through the Scriptures, He says, do not let the sun go down. Because, yes, that admonition certainly applies to a 24-hour day, but it also applies to this whole idea of a season of your life coming to an end and then trying to carry anger or carrying anger, whether we mean to or not, from that season into the next season. And see, the truth is, the truth is this happens in marriages all the time, doesn't it? And when we carry anger from one season of of life into our marriage, because our spouse is not the source of our anger, there is absolutely nothing that our spouse can do to actually close the account on our anger. So let me ask you a question. So if you were God, and you loved you the way that God loves you, and and you understood what it is that God is saying to us today about anger the way that God has explained anger to us through his scriptures, then what is it that you would actually say to you? See, that's why the verses that we're going to read next together, these shouldn't come as a surprise to us when we hear them, right? Right? But I'll I'll be the first one to admit that these are are kind of verses that when we read this, for for many of us, there's going to be this natural tendency, like we talked about last week, to just kind of push away and, and reject what it is that God is actually saying to us. But see, if your Heavenly Father, if He really does love you the way the Scripture says that He loves you, then He desperately wants you to close the account on your anger because not only is it devastating to you, but it is devastating to every single person in your life that you love. Jump down to verse 31. Get rid of. You know what this verse, when I looked this up in the Greek this week, you know how this verse starts? You know what it means? It means get rid of. It's that crystal clear. The Apostle Paul, he just says, get rid of. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
The, the, the picture he's giving us here is he says, okay, you know how every night, every week, you know, there's a certain night of the week where you just kind of gather up all the garbage that's in your house and you take it and you walk it out to the curb and you leave it there? I want you to do that with your anger as well. He says, you know how periodically you just have to kind of go into the basement and you look at all the stuff that's kind of just accumulated there and you just need to purge? The Apostle Paul says, ah, that's what I want you to do with your anger. I want you to just, I just want you to get rid of it. To which there's something inside of us that says, you know, it's just, it's not that simple. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm not saying that you don't have a story. I'm not saying that what happened to you didn't matter. I'm not saying that what happened to you was okay. I'm not saying any of that. It's just that now, what is most important now, the Apostle Paul would say, is to get rid of it. Because the the temptation for us, right, is for us to get stuck in our anger with blame in who did this to me or why did this happen to me or who's responsible for what it is that happened to me. And again, I'm not saying that those questions are not good questions. I'm not saying they're not important questions. I'm not saying that that those questions don't matter. But see, carrying your anger, carrying anger is kind of like this. And some of you, you will understand this immediately. Carrying your anger is kind of like going to the doctor and hearing the doctor tell you that you have cancer. Right? Because when those words come out of a doctor's mouth, in that moment, the most important question is not how did I get this or why did this happen to me. The most important question in that moment is how do I get rid of this? But see, when it comes to these things that get stuck in our hearts, it is so easy for us to spend so much time focused on how we got it right, or how it happened to us instead of saying, what is it that I need to do to get rid of this? Because I don't actually want to live with this for another day. And see, part of the issue of anger that makes this so hard, it makes this so hard for us, is that, that we feel like, you know, if I just, okay, fine, if I just take it out to the curb and I leave it there, like you say, that we feel like we're letting them off the hook, right? Because they hurt me. It's like, Joe, were you not even listening to your own message just a few moments ago? You you said it. They hurt me. They owe me. I can't just let them off the hook. This is so important. This is so important to understand. Listen, getting rid of anger, actually getting rid of anger, it bypasses the issues of fairness and being paid back. Actually getting rid of anger says that fairness is no longer going to be the supreme value in my life anymore. Because now, getting rid of it is actually of more value to me and more importance to me than being paid back for it. And so the Apostle Paul says, if that really is, right, if that really is your priority, if you do, in fact, want to get rid of that anger that you have been carrying and that is ruining your heart, 
He says, then this is what you do. Verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. How? Forgiving each other. To which we hear that and we want to say, but you don't understand because my story, you know, my story goes all the way back to, to my childhood. And if I told you what happened to me, I mean, your heart would break. See, I'm, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that it, it would. But I, I was a victim. I know. So was I. So was I. And I'm not saying that what happened to you was okay. I'm not saying that what happened to you didn't matter. In fact, I'm telling you the exact opposite. I'm actually saying to you that what happened to you was probably so awful, you will never be able to adequately express it in words. And that is precisely why this is so important. Because whatever it was, it has already taken so much from you. It has already done so much damage to your heart. I do not want to see it ruin any more of your life. And this, this is how you get rid of it. See, the, the truth is, forgiveness, forgiveness is such a misunderstood concept. This goes all the way back to the idea in the beginning when we talked about this debt-debtor thing. Right? You know what the word forgive literally means? It literally means cancel a debt. That's all it means. It means that according to my records, right, you owe me, you owe me something, but I have decided to cancel that debt. So, so you don't owe me anymore, not, not because you paid me back, right, not because you made it right, not, not because of any of that stuff. I mean, you, you should have. You should have been there for me and you weren't. You, you should have kept your word and, and you didn't. You should have, but you didn't. And listen, I, I've spent years of my life asking the questions of how and when. How are you going to pay me back? And when are you going to pay me back? But now, now I'm making a decision. And I am deciding that you don't owe me anymore. Debt canceled. You are forgiven. See, forgiveness actually closes the account that was open. Forgiveness actually closes the door and takes away the foothold of the devil. And forgiveness actually breaks the power of anger in your life. And see, the truth is, it is the only thing that does. Then the Apostle Paul, he wraps this whole thing up. And he wraps it up by putting this whole big discussion back into its proper context. He says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And see, for me, right, just for me, that's always the context that I need personally. When, when it comes to the whole issue of canceling a debt or, or forgiveness. Because, see, the truth is, when I'm angry, I'm usually angry, not because of the 5%, you know, that I've done. I'm angry because of the 95% that they've done. And sure, I had a little part in it, but I'm angry because of what it is that they did over here. 
But see, the truth is that when God decided to send His Son Jesus into this world to die for me, Jesus had no part in my sin. He was blameless. He had no guilt. But me? I had an open account with God. You. You had. Maybe you still have an open account with God. And see, that account actually says that things are not good for us. That account says that we are actually dead in our sin. Because we actually sinned against God. And what we owe God, we could never, ever pay back. And so what did God do? God looked at us and he said, you know, even if they could, even if they understood, even if they really knew what it is that they owed, the truth is they could never, they could never pay me back. I guess I'll just cancel the debt. Account closed. Forgiven. You don't owe me anymore. Debt canceled. But see, God also says this. What happened? It actually does matter. It actually matters a lot. What was done to you, what you did, we can't just act like that just didn't happen. We can't pretend that that didn't matter. So my son Jesus, he'll be the one to pay for what it is that you owe. And he will also give you the grace that you need to close the accounts on the people who owe you. This morning, as we again close up our time together, I want to help you with this. Sometimes different messages mean different things for different people, and if you kind of know that today that God was speaking to you and to your heart about this particular type of brokenness that you carry, I want to help you. On the back of your outline, I gave you some things to take home and to think about, about how this process of actually canceling a debt, and again, process how this works. And this morning, as we kind of close in prayer, I want everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads, and I'm going to pray And I'm going to actually give you the opportunity maybe to start that process here and to speak to your Heavenly Father about what it is that you need your Savior Jesus to do in your heart. So let's, everyone, bow your heads, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you you see our hearts, you know our hurts. Father, you know our pains. Uh, you, You know and you see who and, it, who and what it is that we blame for those heart hurts and pains that we hold on to and that we, we carry in our heart. And Father, you are not saying to us that we're wrong. 
You're not negating our experience or our emotions. Father, what you're doing this morning is you are showing us a way that we can actually live without those things being the things that define us or define our lives anymore. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would give to all of us the grace that we need and also the courage that we need to close the account and to close the door on what it is that the devil is trying to use to, to not only to, to destroy us, but also to destroy those people in our lives that we love so much. And so, Father, I pray that this would actually be a beginning. I pray that this would be a new beginning for many of us as we seek to build our lives on the truth of your word and that you would show us that we would listen and understand and that we would begin a new habit, a habit of keeping very short accounts, a habit of refusing to carry anger from one season into another season a habit of guarding our hearts against anger. Heavenly Father, we want to be able to forgive. I want to be able to forgive just as in Christ that you forgave me. And so, Father, I confess to you this morning that I have been holding on to anger against someone. Now you tell your Heavenly Father who it is that you have been holding on to anger against. Father, I feel like this person has robbed me and that they, they, they took something from me. Tell your Heavenly Father what it is that you feel like has been taken from you. Heavenly Father, in this moment right now, I am making a decision. I may not feel like it, I may not want to do it, but Father, in this moment right now, I am choosing to cancel that debt, and I am asking you, Holy Spirit, to give me the grace I need and the courage I need to say, debt canceled. You are forgiven. You don't owe me anymore. And Father, please... For all of us. Father, please allow my painful memories when those memories, when those issues of anger try to bubble back up from my past. Father, please, through your Holy Spirit, change those painful memories into reminders of your grace, reminders of your forgiveness in my future and that my future is different than my past because of what it is that Jesus has done for me. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.